Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Turn up your volume. This is Unfuck Nation. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to this week's episode of Unfuck Nation. I am your host, Gary John Bishop. And it's good to be breathing some of this personal development air. I'll tell you that right now. If you haven't noticed yet, get your butt over to TikTok because I'm on TikTok now. I never thought I'd say that, but I am. I'm over on TikTok. Well, I'm not, but there's stuff over there that you might want to check out. So if you're following me on Instagram or on Facebook or on Twitter, or TikTok or all of them, right? Just make sure you've checked out some of the other spaces because it's not all the same content, okay? You go from place to place to place, the content changes, right? All right, so let's get into this week's episode because this is a subject that I'm actually very passionate about. Sometimes I get these comments from people that want me to talk about this thing and talk about that thing. And mostly what I find is people want me to get into certain specifics, which is okay on one hand. But on the other hand, you know, what I'm proposing here with whatever area of life you're dealing with, I'm proposing a philosophical view. I'm proposing a philosophical outlook. Now, and that's very different from being philosophical, right? Like kind of being optimistic, right? That's not what a philosophical view is really all about. It's about stepping back and looking at something and kind of taking it apart for yourself until such times as you kind of see it a little differently and even experience it differently, okay? So this thing I want to talk to you about is language. And, and I've been talking uh, in little bits about this in all of the books, right, about language. And in fact, in the new parenting book that I'm working on, it's not parenting, but being a parent, that I'm working on, I, I get into it a little deeper with la- about what, what is language, right, and why it's so important. Now, mostly when, when I start talking about this subject, people just immediately roam off into, oh, well, Gary's telling us to speak positively and be careful about our thoughts. And, and I'm saying absolutely fucking none of that, okay? I'm not saying any of that at all. And in fact, I think the phrase, and I've used this phrase many times, that best sums up the importance of language is where the phrase of Martin Heidegger's when Heidegger said language is the house of being. Language is the house of being. Now, if you stretch that out even more and more and more, right, language is in fact the singular way that a human being captures reality. So language is the singular way that a human being captures reality. Now, a simple way for me to put this for someone would be 
if you look around you right now, and if you look, if you're in the vicinity of a chair, okay, and you look at that chair, and you can do that right now if you're in the vicinity of one, or any object, by the way, but we'll use chair as an example. You look at that chair right now, just think about that chair. Think about what it does. Think about what it doesn't do. Think about what you use it for. Think about how you interact with it. And even the word itself, anytime somebody mentions the word chair to you, it immediately brings forth something that you realize and you recognize, right? Now, if I was to take that object and I was to transplant that object in another part of the world, maybe a different culture, a different vicinity, a different, a different environment, it wouldn't have the same impact for the people or the situation there that it has for you. So in fact, in that part of the world, it's not a chair. It's certainly not a chair in the way that you would. In fact, if you were to take that same object and plonk it down somewhere, someone might attempt to lie underneath it or break it up and turn it into firewood or whatever. So language is what makes that thing a chair. It's not the structure. The structure is the structure. The language that we use to describe it is what makes it what it is. And in fact, without that language, it isn't anything. It's just that thing. And again, you know, look around yourself. Your whole life is a reflection of the language that you've used to capture it. And you use that language in a way that helps you better understand yourself and the world. So we're constantly using language. And there are many things in your life that are completely a construct of language. Like they don't exist anywhere but language. So an, an example that I often like to use with people is the, the term the president of the United States. It's not a thing. It's a construct in language that people have agreed upon that it is that thing. But it's not a thing in reality, right? It's just a person doing whatever they do. And so... And for the evolution of a human being, for the evolution of, us, of our society, what's actually happening is an evolution of language. So as we keep distinguishing, taking apart, understanding, attributing new language to things, it gives us a deeper and more profound understanding of the world that's going on around us and an ability to interact with that world, right? Um, I mean, what's the sun for not calling it the sun, right? What's the moon for not calling it the moon? What's la, 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 la. So all of this language that we've given to these things allows us to put together a picture and comprehend things. So all very well and good. Thank you for your philosophical introspection, Gary. No, but here's the other deal. The language that you use to describe yourself, the language that you've used to describe your situation, the language that you've used and you continue to use to describe your past is in fact the reality that you're left with. You're left with a reality given by the language you continue to use. And so it's important for you to pay attention to the language you've used. If you can appeal back the first layer of that, you'll see that the language you use has a very kind of definitive experience for you. Like there are certain things that when you talk about them, you might get hooked in some way. You might get suppressed. You might get angry. You might get frustrated. Right? You might have an experience of being helpless or powerless or sad or anxious or depressed or whatever it might be. Because remember, as Heidegger said, language is the house of being. And so one of the greatest lessons that I ever learned 
in my own development over the over the years, and this was a number of years ago I learned this, was to, to start to really understand the language that I was using to describe the portions of my past that I felt as if I was most encumbered by. And what I noticed was that under that layer, when I peeled it back, there was the language that I was using to describe it, which was having an impact on me. And the language that I was using every time I used that language, and I talked about those events or that situation, I noticed like my emotional state immediately connected to that time back then, right? It wasn't, I wasn't emotionally settled in the life that I have. I was like caught up and trapped in the language of the life that I had. But what about underneath that layer? What's, what's going on there? What I was mostly burdened by from my past was not what had in fact happened, but in fact, how I had internalized that how I had expanded that to mean something. I'm going to give you a really good example, okay? A real one from my own past, right? My father was a heavy drinker, right? When I say heavy drinker, he drunk often, frequently, and to the degree where, you know, he would be incoherent or it certainly like limited in his ability to function the way that most people function in their everyday lives, okay? Now, You'll notice the way that I'm describing that right there. There's no drama in it. There's no, the language that I'm using is very precise because that's accurate. The language that I'm using to describe some of his behaviors is very accurate. It's not dramatized. It's not heightened by using words that I'm not even sure are accurate or not accurate. So I'm looking for like, well, what's so about that time? And that's what was so. Now, if you'd ask me, when I was 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, I would talk about the things that he did or didn't do in very different terms. But if I even take just the way that I described it to you, underneath the layer of that description was how I had internalized that. Like I looked at his behavior and there was a logic applied to his behavior. And the logic that was applied to it was, well, clearly he cares more about that than he cares about me. Right? So that's how it was for me as a child. I would look at him and say, clearly, he's more into that than me. That left me with something. Not what he was doing, but in fact, that thing that I had added to it. He cares more about that than he cares about me. Which again, if you look at it at a very surface level, I mean, that's a pretty reasonable place for somebody to come from, right? To say, well, clearly, you know, if you really loved me, you wouldn't do that. But if you really cared for me, you wouldn't behave in that way. Which, when you're dealing with somebody who behaves with substances like that, like alcohol or drugs or whatever, it's a pretty easy conclusion to come to, but not entirely accurate. You see, at that age, I'd never realized what he was dealing with, what was going on in his mind, the life that he had lived. I had no sense of that. I was just too busy being, again, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I was too busy being a kid. And in the logic of a kid, that made sense. So I was never burdened by his behaviors. Here's what I was burdened by. What I had attached to it. What I'd left myself with was that not only he didn't care, but people didn't care. It became a profoundly held belief for me. Like it got internalized and became, quote unquote, the truth. That became the truth for me. And once I'd settled on that truth without even realizing that I'd got myself there, life was about accumulating evidence for it. 
of proving its accuracy, of finding evidence and reality for the internalized truth that I had constructed in language and had never known it. See, a lot of people think like my brand of personal development and my brand of personal growth is very simple, you know, ignore your feelings and do it. And that is absolutely not what I'm talking about. It is very important for you to do the work to start to understand, to start to peel back the layers, but not in some kind of, you know, fucking perjured march through the past. It's, it's an inquiry. It's an understanding. It's a piecing pieces together of finally making sense to yourself in a way that sets you free. Many people who say they make sense to themselves, but they're not free. So, you know, it's, it's a big part of why, you know, sometimes I hear people in, in, in this genre even, and they talk about their past in such an untransformed way. They talk about their past and they literally walk you through the emotional fucking peaks, valleys, and minefields of it. And it's obvious they're still walking through it. They've never looked at the language that they've used to capture it. They've never looked at, well, what have I internalized here that might not even be accurate, might not even be, again, true? What have I left myself with? Might be the better question. And that's a lot of the work that I did to reconcile my past. And people think reconciling your past is just, well, oh, well, shit, well, that's what happened. No, no, a big part of that for me was questioning what happened. Well, what, what actually did happen? Or more importantly, what did I take away from that that is in fact not what happened? It's not. And in fact, when I flipped the thing around and I looked at, well, let me look at evidence here for where this man might have demonstrated his caring and loving for me. And I found oceans of it. It wasn't obvious to me when I was growing up. But when I managed to look back, I could find evidence of his struggle and I could find... Now, I'm not like romanticizing him here. You know, he was a real person who had to real life to deal with. And, and you know, he had a family and, you know, the, whatever the societal pressures are that we have to deal with generation to generation, he had to deal with his. But the really interesting thing was when I went back and looked and I did, I did it actually in terms of like my own, my dad, my mom, the other people, important, you know, players in my early life. And I started to see that I had put together a construct in language. I'd built a picture of how all of that was. And I lived with that picture. I lived with a picture. And listen, I also know that some of you might really be struggling with what I'm saying. You might be saying, well, how the heck? No, this is what happened. You know, you no, you have to actually look at the language you've used to capture it. Because language, my friends, really is the paintbrush. You're constantly painting a picture and living from the language you're using. The language you're using to describe your reality will determine how you interact with that reality. The language you're using to describe your reality will determine how you interact with that reality, right? Again, the language you use to describe a chair and with it comes all that is attached to that thing called the chair, you'll interact with that like a chair. Someone who has no distinction for chair, no language for chair, no relationship to chair, no world that a chair brings forth, they'll interact with that thing in a very different way, but it's the same fucking reality. You with me? So this is important for you to get. If you're really interested in dealing with a past or creating a future that's worthy of your fucking life, 
you must start noticing the degree to which you heighten and dramatize and are attached to things from your own past that may not have been fucking real. They were real for you at the time, but you've left yourself with that, just like the example that I gave you of myself, right? So there's a very kind of flat way that I look at things now, very flat way. I tend to, when I'm describing something, it tends to be kind of shorter, more precise. There's no drama in it, right? Now, <laughs> I also understand when you talk in those terms, it just doesn't sound quite as fucking interesting. So when I talk about my past in the way I do, it sounds like I just had a nothing kind of past. No, in that past, while I was in that past, it was testing. It was turbulent. It was challenging. It was difficult. It was dramatic. It was suppressive. It was frustrating. It was embarrassing. Shame, guilt. All of those experiences were a big part of my growing up because in that young mind, I was doing what, I was, what everybody else was doing which is looking at my situation and internalizing meaning and significance and adding that to a situation that was already challenging for a young person. So that's important for you to understand. The language that you use to capture life is the life you'll be left with. All right, my friends, we're going to take a short break right now. After the break, we're going to take our question from the nation. We got some great questions in the last week, by the way. I've really been kind of left in, in a kind of no man's land about which one to pick, but I think I've picked a great one for you. Sorry, the week before we talked about integrity and the power of integrity and what it really all is. And I think it's, it's going to continue to be a feature. I think you really need to get the significance and the importance of being someone who's grounded in something, grounded in something that's, that's greater than the sum of your feelings, okay? But anyway, we're going to get to that question. If you want to participate in a future show, connect at Gary John Bishop, email me, or Call me on the hotline, 646-450-3203. Leave me a voicemail, and you can even text me at that number, and I can get a little bit of, a little, get some eyes on your, your situation, your conundrum, your problem. But it also includes, you guys, a subject that maybe you want me to touch on. If there's a subject you want me to get into, use those outlets to be in communication with me. It doesn't work if you're jumping onto social media, by the way. You know, unless you're private messaging me on Instagram with your conundrum, right? If you if you reach out to me there, I'm, I might pick it up and use it on the show. But I don't respond to DMs. I don't respond to that stuff when you're talking to me about your life. It's it's just not, there's not enough room. There's not enough scope. And to, in my view, it kind of diminishes the importance of what you're dealing with to try and deal with it in a freaking text or a, or a, or a DM. All right, you guys, we're going to take a break right now. We'll be back in just a moment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, welcome back. This is a part of the show where we take in a question from 
the nation. Now, this question, I really had to wrestle with this a little bit before including this question. But like I said in the first part of the show, a couple of episodes ago, we dived into this whole notion of integrity and what it is for a human being and why it's important for us as human beings. And especially if you're somebody who's out to change your life, build a new life, build a new you, that will require some fundamentals of integrity that you need to get yourself grounded in. And I think this question, and it really is a bit of a conundrum, <laughs> is, is indicative of the kind of the kind of approach one has to take if you're really out to establish a new life for yourself, regardless of your age, whether you're 20, 40, 60, 80, integrity is everything. Okay. So this question is from Stella. And she says, what the fuck? I just listened to your 98th episode on integrity. And I was going to wait. And I was going to call you when I had the perfect thing to say. But I figured that just fuck it. The integrity morality conversation for me is not new, but I never ever got it the way I got it from this episode that you just talked about. And so I'm so present to the fact that I used to have a lot more integrity when I was younger. In the last 20 years, I've been completely living out of integrity, just honoring my feelings, my pleasure seeking. And in the question you had about the guy who was who was in a relationship with his former wife, everything that he's been doing, I've done the exact same thing. Everything you said was right on. So I'm telling you all this, not just to acknowledge you, but in an attempt to come clean. And I came clean with my husband about a year ago. And I told him that I'd been cheating on him forever. There were three major incidents, but I said, I'm just going to stand in my truth and I laid it all on the table and I was ready to face the consequences. Even though one of my biggest fears is always kind of disappointing people and looking bad. We had three days of crying and talking. And for the first time, it felt real. But here's my question. What if my husband has been living in denial all this time? Like he doesn't want to know. He doesn't ask me questions. If he's protecting himself by not wanting to know. And even though I've told him about these affairs and how it wasn't a slip up, he just said, you know, I forgive you and I continue. So what do I do with that? Okay, so I'm going to split your situation up into two here, Stella, and which I never do. I'm going to deal with the first part there, okay? So that's actually your husband's integrity, right? That's up to him to get himself grounded in what something or some principle that he is holding himself to. Now, but if you were to go back and look at this thing called your marriage vows, what you said to each other when you got married, that really is the framework within which you're supposed to operate, right? And that's why the, that promise, that vow you make is so critical. People just treat it like it's nothing. And I talked about that in Love Unfucked. We treat our marriage vows like they're nothing. But once upon a time, a couple of hundred years ago, the marriage vows were everything. Now they're just ceremonial or fun or whatever. It's supposed to be romantic. It's not like you're, you're holding yourself to account for being someone. And really, that's what the vow is. The vow is, this is who I'm going to be. And you can count on me for that. Right. And I know it sounds really old fashioned and blah, but look, it's it's not about being perfect. It's not about being that person like a fucking robot. It's saying this is the world within which I'm going to function with you. I'm going to come from this world. And if ever I drift out of this world, I'm going to fucking pull myself back in and I'm going to relate to you from there. Right. That's really the world of a vow. So anyway, so you're not functioning consistent with that vow. 
that's obvious. And and in some ways, he might say, well, I am. If he said, well, I promise to love you, well, I'm loving you right now, right? But I think there's something there for both of you to get in terms of, I don't, I don't really get that either of you are creating something. I don't think there's anything getting created there. I certainly don't think you're a, you're a partner in this, okay? But anyway, let's get to the second part of this, right? I've always felt that I'm hopeless. I don't know what to do, whether I should leave this marriage because I'm not in love with him. He's family to me. We're both from Europe and we live in the United States. I've been able to hide most of it successfully for 20 years. No, we haven't. Only because he doesn't ask. But I know uh, I'm so completely told that this is who I am, but I'm full of guilt. I'm a person that I don't respect or love. So do I continue? Do I try to fix this marriage? Do I get out and live on my own? I'm financially dependent. So I've been following you ever since you started. I have your books. I haven't read the latest one about relationship. That's fucking obvious, Stella. I probably should. And yeah, do I stay or do I create my own life? Feels like I'm stuck because I'm afraid of the unknown. How do I get excited and motivated about a future? Because I don't know what it would look like. All right. So here's, here's the little pinprick in the bubble. Stella, this situation suits you. The one that you say you're so fucking tormented by, it suits you down to the ground. If, you know, financially, you're looked after that way, you don't have to reach for some life or you have to generate this life yourself and create for yourself and live a life of your own creation. You get to just kind of bathe in the safety of whatever that is you have with your husband and then do whatever the fuck you want on the side. The problem is the integrity of this is fucking gnawing at you. And that's the same with everybody who's engaging in activity or doing things that at some level they know this isn't what I should be doing. I should be doing something else. This is this lacks integrity for me. And sometimes for people, they don't even know what the lack of integrity is. They just know it's off. They just know, like there's like I've said many times in the past, the circle is not complete. There's some break in that circle. Like I'm saying I'm this kind of person, but there's a break. I'm not fully that person. I'm kind of mostly, often, frequently that person, but not, this is not who I am. So in other words, your life is a lie. It's a sham. So the choice you have to make is, and it's a very simple choice. If I'm going to be in this marriage, I have to fully complete the past. That means deal with the whole past, which you did once to whatever degree. But none of that is of any use unless you then turn to this person and say, and this is who I am now. And this is what you can count on me for. And I'm going to be that person, not for you, but for myself, because it's important for me that I generate myself and create myself as the kind of human being that's consistent with who I would say I am. So that's one choice. Like you complete the past, create the future and live that fucking future. Get on with it. Every day you wake up, you play that game because it's the game you said you want to play and you want to have your life. And I want you to get You don't have the option of yeah button your way out of this. You have two choices to make. One is I'm going to be in and fully in, both feet in with this marriage, and I'm going to generate and create myself and bring myself to it or not, right? The alternative, this thing in the middle, is what you've been doing for the last 20 years. And quite frankly, it's an unworkable life. Your life won't work. And at the end of your life, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, when you look back, 
you'll see that it was a sham, that it was a fake life. So you either create a relationship with this person, one that works, one that's based in reality, right? One that you're committed to, you're committed to whatever you design with this person. And that's the part that's up to you. You get to say what this is. And he gets to say whether he wants to participate in this this way with you or not. And you live that life. Or, and this is your alternative, you get out. Now, I get why not being in a relationship for you would be would be intimidating. I think there's a lot of work there for you to unpack about that in terms of your ability to create something for yourself. I don't believe, it doesn't sound to me like you believe you could do that. You could create something worthy of your life. Either way, I know that it's possible for you to have one of those two as an option and they live that life and they live that life in a fulfilled way and be happy with that life, the life that you've chosen. As long as you're paying attention to the kind of default way that you're wired, which is which is this kind of grass is always greener way that you're looking on the other side. And look, I know many people live their fucking lives that way. They choose to live that way. But that'll just leave you with a constant experience of not having the life you want. All the while, you're missing the opportunity to live the life you want. That's the kind of crossroads where you find yourself. I can't make you choose one of them. But I need you to know, from me to you, that you can only choose one of those two pathways. A life where you're creating a life for yourself and what's next. And I know that's full of uncertainty and I've written about that stuff in numerous occasions that human beings would rather be in the shit they're in than step into the uncertainty of the life they say they want or the other pathway for you, which would be complete the past with your husband and create a marriage that works for you both, that works for you both. And it's one that's reflective of you both and where you both are in life and what you want to get out of this life. And that's completely possible, right? There's a life that he wants to have. There's a life that you want to have. You know, that's, how can I say it, open to negotiation between you both. And really, by the way, that's what all fucking marriage is. It begins with a negotiation. I'm going to be this person. You're going to be that person. Okay, we good. Let's go. And I know that's simplifying it, but that is the bounds of it. But what you can't do is continue this fucking horse shit. This is just bullshit. This is, this is no way to live a fucking life. You're not grounded in anything. You're just fucking you know, wandering off in one direction or another, just fucking drawn by your emotions or whatever the fuck else is rattling around in your cage and calling that life. And then, oh, I'm confused and I don't understand. Give me a fucking break, man. Get grounded in something. Everybody has old hooks and triggers and emotions and things they haven't dealt with. Everybody is dealing with a fucking casserole of, you know, of, of old emotional states wrapped up in a present circumstance. People are wrestling with all kinds of shit. This is not unusual, by the way, Stella. So don't go down this, you know, fucking woe is me. It's not unusual. It's very, very common. But that doesn't mean to say it works. And in your case, it's clear it doesn't work. It doesn't fucking work. You know, one of the things that I've been really focusing on with my own life in the last 12 months or so, and, and, it's, and really bringing it to life for myself, is I strike a blow for the life that I'm living, and then I work out how the fuck I'm going to do that. How am I going to live this life? But, I, you know, I don't, if you look too far down the line, you'll get intimidated by it. It's today and tomorrow and next week and next month. That's it. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month. How do I change my life today? 
How am I going to have to handle that tomorrow? What, what can I put in place right now that starts to feed in towards next week? What do I need to keep my eye on for what's coming up next month? Today, tomorrow, next week, next month. And start getting yourself vested in a real life, one that's reflective of you, what matters to you, what's important to you. The kind of life that's worthy of your existence. Because the alternative here, this kind of no man's land, is fucking bullshit. All right, you guys, that's it for this week. Have a great one. See you on the flip side. being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and united healthcare makes it easy with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they supplement your primary plan helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods so when it comes to covering your medical bills you can feel good about being a little extra visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you